hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestall. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 137, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. It's always a delight to be recording on the anniversary of Peter Cushing's birth. Is it? I did not know. It is, yes. It's a very strange thing in the world of horror that you've got Peter Cushing, Vincent Price, and Christopher Lee are all born within three days of each other. Man, that was a that was a great series of days. That was one of those planetary alignment situations. <laughs> very true. So yes, he would have been 109. Well, an important question. Favorite Peter Cushing film? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, we stumped him. We stumped him, audience. I will have to say the criminally underrated The Abominable Snowman. Why The Abominable Snowman? Because it's an absolutely brilliant film, and I think it's one of Hammer's best films, and it's consistently overlooked for his work as Van Helsing or Sherlock Holmes. Check it out, folks. I'm sure you can find it streaming most places. Rent it. Do not pirate. Though it is old, vote with your dollars. <laughs> I believe it's on Prime. Oh, perfect. There we go. The Abominable... Not, not Snow Beast, you understand. The Abominable <laughs> Snowman. <laughs> or Man Beast, which is even worse. The bad guy's half Yeti, you know, it's the bad film. I feel like half Yeti's just Italian. <laughs> Who knows? These are the mysteries we like to entertain over here on The Ghost Story Guys. Very true. All right. Well, you guys don't hear, come to hear us, uh, hear us wax philosophical about the absolutely shit movies we've seen. All of that is, you know, a substantial part of the show. You are here for stories of the strange and unusual. By God, we have them this week. But before we get there, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the chopper to our Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is to say you lift us up and you save us. So now we're going to get to you. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Christine Henbury, Maurice Milligan, Sue Ellen Chalmers, Steph S., Andrew Selovich, Mrs. Noon, Ida Travato, Archicat 3, Fritz Kartoffel, Jordan, Richard Caponis, Ryan Hoskin, Patricia Bornstein, Alyssa Waldman. And I'm glad I've got this one. Fiendish Glee. I'm glad you have that one too. I feel like that is, that's a Paul name. That would be my weekend name. Yes, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm more fiendish than I am Glee. <laughs> kind of sums up the musical version of Sweeney Todd, I think. That Kind of, that, you know, that's, okay, no, we're going to get started on movies again. All right. <laughs> Patrons, really, thank you so, so much. We had a real a real rush of patrons recently, and it's, it's just wonderful. It's very inspiring, and uh, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. So thank you to everyone who supports the show. Everyone who listens, you help make us who we are, but patrons are who allow the show to continue. You guys help pay the bills, help keep the lights on in my apartment, the electricity going, and it means the world to us. So thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. Thank you. If you want to find out how to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We'll tell you at the end of the show what all the cool shit you get, but we will say for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed, and that's pretty great because ads suck. Again, that's patreon.com 
slash ghost story guys. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're telling a combination of listener stories and stories found online. Hey, it's me recording way after the fact. So originally we had intended to include a non-listener story at the end of the show, but we ran out of time to record it. We'll definitely be sharing that story on the next episode though, because it, uh, it deals with a phenomenon that we haven't really talked about much on the show and that's why we didn't want to rush it. So we're looking forward to sharing that with you on episode 138. Now back to the show. But before we get to the stories, of course, we got to check the mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. All right, Paul, are you prepared to read email? Always. All right. So the first one's from Terry. And Terry says, I lived in Phoenix in the 90s and moved into a house in a beautiful new suburb near South Mountain called Awatuki. The house was situated at the bottom of the mountain right across the street from a popular hiking trail. The area was affordable and had great views everywhere you looked. The people that lived there seemed to come and go very quickly with no one staying in their homes for very long. Aha, red flag. About two weeks after I moved in, I had a very vivid dream. In the dream, I was sitting at one end of a long conference table around which were seated several Pima elders. They seemed angry and told me the reason no one lasts long in the area is because they didn't ask permission to build there. They told me residents' lives would be unstable until they asked the Pima fathers for this permission. The dream was so real that I could never forget it. From that day forward, I asked for the ancestors' permission to hike on the land whenever I set out on a trail. As it turns out, my stay in Awatuki wasn't long either, but it's because my roommates were nuts, so I decided to move out. There is also a true story about Enchantment Resort in Sedona. Many resorts failed in this stunning spot in Boynton Canyon until the current builders of Enchantment did a ceremony to ask permission to build in the canyon. It has outlasted all other resorts in this area and continues to be a popular place until this day. So thank you, Terry. That was in response to... The story from Guam from the last episode. What what happens when you you mess with the jungle? Our next missive is from Chantel. Another great episode. I really look forward to each and every new show. The longer the better. I just wanted to drop you a line about the topic of cigarette smoke. You've both mentioned having smelled the odour of cigarette smoke at times, and I've always wanted to comment. This last episode has finally pushed me to drop you a line. While I can't deny your experiences are not supernaturally based, I was told my random unexplained bursts of cigarette smells were a a factory auras and a possible precursor to my migraines. A factory auras are very rare, Brennan, and do not mean you have a medical condition. You know me well, Chantel. (laughs) As my migraines have greatly improved since I've stopped eating gluten, my random cigarette smoke smells have almost all disappeared. I just thought I'd let you know. Thank you, Chantel. And I know we had someone comment on the Facebook page as well about this. They suggested that this could be COVID because we both had COVID at different points and it can mess with your, with your olfactory senses. I know, um, someone was telling me that, uh, there's a particular flavor they used to enjoy and now it's, it's different now on some things, Mm. things that, you know, like one thing used to taste like this now tastes like something else. I can't remember the specifics, but, uh, I, I would say that is true, if not for the fact that multiple people are smelling it at the same time. 
Yeah. That that's that's sort of the, the thing I always come back to is if it was just me, I'd say, yeah, it's my stupid brain. But um or you know, Paul's magnificent brain. But um <laughs> we're smelling it around well, like around people, so I think there is a little more to it. Mm. But Plus um, it predated me getting COVID. That too, yeah, that too. And I've also never thankfully I've never had a migraine in my life. Really? Mm. I've only ever had a couple, but I gotta tell you, man, do not recommend. I usually get headaches through uh personal refreshment. Uh, I see. Hangovers. Yes. Fair. And actually one last thing on the subject of smoke is we had a, we had a message from CT and uh, CT is a retired firefighter and he, he wanted to correct us on a point about smoke. He said, as far as this smoke rises BS, I've been driving in a car or on my bike doing 70 miles an hour and could smell cigarette smoke from a vehicle two or three feet ahead of me. Just saying. Fun fact, smoke will only rise as long as it is warmer than the surrounding air. At night, a pocket of smoke will rise a bit. But as the air around it becomes warmer, it will actually sink back towards the ground and spread out horizontally. This is what is called a diurnal or daily cycle, which basically repeats every day. So it is possible that, uh, that my, my, um, roving marijuana smoke is just my neighbors preparing for their upcoming child by getting as stoned as possible, <laughs> which is fair. I would too. Well, hopefully mm. the mother's not, I, I hope she's not also getting stoned. Maybe that's why he's smoking in the bathroom. So he doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't affect the baby. It might be Mr. Skin in the tub. <laughs> He's just, just having a J. He's like the big Lebowski. Why not? <laughs> what the hell? This next letter is from Ellen, and we told Ellen's story on the episode, Poltergeists Will Tear You Apart. Ellen said, I still can't, pl- I can't believe you read my story. I thought it had disappeared long ago. We still live in the same house and nothing else has really occurred. However, with two kids in the house, it would have to be something pretty amazing for us to notice. My eldest is now 13, and I actually talked to her about the hands recently and she has no memory. Although she doesn't seem particularly sensitive to the supernatural, she is very sensitive to people. She picks up on moods in a second and instantly becomes sad or mad to match. Weird timing with you reading my story as I was debating trying again, since she's been having a recurring dream regarding a man floating down the road opposite our house. His toes drag on the ground and he has a hat on his head. She has a feeling that if he reaches the house, something bad will happen. Thanks for reading my story. Also, thanks for all the work you guys do. I'm a longtime patron supporter, and listening to you has got me through a lot of household chores, long journeys, and even a pandemic. Thank you for being there. Uh, Thank you, Ellen. Thank you for the support and and for the stories and for updating us. Um, And and as for, you know, because Ellen's story was sent in, I believe, November 2020, um, I know there's a lot of folks who sent us stories from back then that just never got on the show. As we're sort of pushing on, I'm trying to get through some of those by putting them into Book of the Dead episodes. Um, and, and also on, you know, just on the main show as well. So if you did send a story in, you know, I would say don't give up on it ever appearing in the show because we still have probably a couple hundred in the, in the, the archive that have to be, have to be used. So, uh, again, they're, they're in there and we'll get to them, you know, hopefully as, as quickly as possible. Interesting about that dream though, Paul, do you have any thoughts? It's the dragging feet on the floor. I always find because that's a very creepy image, isn't it? It's almost as if. They're on their tiptoes like they're hanging from something. I'd like to know if it's different. Does this entity get further along the road every time they oh. have this dream? Or is it the same recurring series of events and then it just stops? Is it getting closer? That is a great point. Yeah. If, if, uh, let us know, Ellen. Let us know if, that, if that's been evolving as the dreams have persisted. Our next email is from Eva. My mum passed away a little over two years ago. Max was eight years old. I kept her house after being her carer for a couple of years. 
A few months later, we were having dinner in the dining room. Max was sat next to me, and he pointed at the living room. He said and pointed, There's Grandma Eva. She named me after herself. I looked, but I didn't see anything. I just told Max, Don't be scared, she loves you. My daughter, who is 26 years old, walked into the living room, telling me, There's Grandma. She was looking into the room at you, which is my home office. She said she looked so sad. My husband said he'd seen someone in the living room from the side of his eyes in the TV room. I need her to be gone back to heaven and not staying around here. So Eva, we're really sorry for your loss. That doesn't help anything us saying that, but we just want you to know that. I would say, I imagine she will go in, in her time. If that's what's happening, if she is sticking around, it may just be that uh, she's not ready to go yet, but I'm sure she will. I think if it's a situation where she's just visiting, then clearly she wants to be there for whatever reason. And unless she's interacting in a negative fashion, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Often they're there because they want to be, and that might be simply that they miss you as much as you miss them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. So again, we're, we're sorry for your loss, Ava, and hopefully she, again, I'm, I'm sure she will move on in her time. Kristen says, there's a guy on TikTok that does lives every week and his house is haunted. Tons of activity. I would love to hear what you think of it if you think there's another adult helping. Some of it I could see, but some happens in front of the camera. It's insanely interesting. And please watch and let me know if you think it's legit. Um, I didn't have a chance to watch this guy yet, but if this guy can consistently host live events where ghost, where paranormal activity is guaranteed to happen every time, I think it's probably just entertaining theater. I don't think he is actually documenting anything. And uh, I feel that way generally about Facebook lives, TikTok lives, YouTube lives, anything where someone is guaranteeing, guaranteeing a show. And, and actually, Paul, this is kind of interesting because Joseph and I recently did a, a new episode of Weird Together, which is uh, the bi-weekly live stream where we talk about horror movies. And we talked about We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is sort of like indie horror, almost like really an indie drama about mm-hmm. a girl who kind of starts playing this online role-playing game. And what's interesting about it is basically, you know, she is claiming to, it's a little bit like the Marble Hornets thing with Slenderman. Yeah. You know, you kind of create these videos where you're pretending something is happening to you. You, you're kind of performing, but you're performing in this very verite way. So, you know, it's your real name, it's your real house, but you're just putting on a show. And I, I wasn't aware that this was a thing. You know, I, I didn't, to me, you know, if someone's doing something, you know, if like I'm Brennan and I'm, you see a YouTube video of me screaming in my house, you know, (laughs) I I assume that, uh, you would think, Hey, something's wrong with Bren. But apparently there is a thing where, yeah, this is like, uh, I don't know. It's like, again, like, like a LARPing kind of thing, like a live action role play where you post videos of, of yourself going through X or Y. And again, the Slenderman thing with, with Marble Hornets, I think was one of the places that one of the sort of more popular versions of this that I'm aware of. But, um, and I think the problem I have with that is it blurs the line between what's real and what's not, which is fine if you understand the game. And I, I kind of feel that way about a lot of this TikTok, like this ghost talk stuff. Cause I know Sarah, who we work with here on the show, because she's, you know, 10 years younger than me, she understands these <laughs> things and it's kind of helped get my head around some of these things. But again, I, I think it, it has to be a performance because it has to be entertaining. But the problem is people want to see real things. So you end up with this weird mixture of, of invented activity being 
taken as real activity and not a performance. What are your thoughts? Yes, well, I'm very proud that I refuse to join in with any aspect of TikTok, as it just <laughs> really irritates me intensely. And I've yet to see anything on TikTok that makes me want to watch any more. Um, however, <laughs> get off my lawn. And I say that as somebody who used to really enjoy Vine. So I find it quite odd because to me, TikTok's just basically Vine, isn't it? Just longer. More or less. Showing me age there. Anyway, um, <laughs> unless he's a ghost, I don't think any of it's real. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel. It, it has to be, again, I, I will check it out. I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but I will check it out just, just, you know, so I can be making an informed, uh, informed opinion. But I, I tend to think most of these things are just entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it could end up being like that um, Dear David situation that got everybody really interested for ages and then it ended up all just being bobbins. And that's it. And, and someone actually came to us with Dear David back in the day and said, oh, do you, have you seen this thing? This thing is really happening. And I thought, no, it's not. There's, there's absolutely no way. Guarantee you it is not real. And there, well, it's not real. Yeah. It's almost as good. I remember somebody once sending me one about a guy in a hotel room and you could clearly see the fishing wire pulling the phone off the wall. <laughs> and, I, and I just thought, I, I was really annoyed that they'd got the audacity to even send something that bad to me. So I cursed them. <laughs> and I haven't seen them since. Well, I, I have a friend who, when he, <laughs> he curses people, it is actually weirdly like powerful. He made a joke once there was a surfer he didn't like, and he's like, man, I hope that guy gets eaten by a shark. And that, that guy was actually killed by a shark. <laughs> so we, we don't piss him off. <laughs> and I feel like you have that kind of magic too, so I, I, won't, I won't piss uh, you off. It's like, uh, it's like that character in Dodgeball, isn't it? Who <laughs> says to Justin, oh, it could be worse. He could fall off a roller coaster and break every bone in his body. And then he has to stand in for him at the cheerleader final because he, he's fallen off a roller coaster and broken every bone in his body. <laughs> <laughs> it's the magic of Paul. Don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> So th thank you, Kristen. We really do appreciate you taking an interest and in, in asking us about that. And again, I, I am going to check it out, but my, my suspicion is that it is, it is entertainment. Our next one is from Leela. I am a recent listener to your podcast, only discovering it a few months ago. When I find a new podcast that I enjoy, I'm one of those rare people who like to start at the beginning episodes. I do this because I like to witness the progression of the podcast, to watch the development in comfort level and the skill of the hosts and the beginning of all the little long-running jokes, etc. I've been binge-listening from episode one, and I'm now almost up to the current, and I think I'm about five episodes away. While I've done this over the years with many podcasts, yours is the first that I've ever felt an impulse to write into, and I've been putting it off because I was nervous to do so. While listening to your discussions, I have resonated with the open and relaxed way in which you both approach not only paranormal experiences, but also life and people in general. This, combined with the genuine compassion both of you express for hurting people, has caused your podcast to quickly become one of the favourite shows I've ever listened to. Oh, thank you very much. I think the reason I feel the impulse to write in is that I'm beginning to realise that your podcast is helping me slowly start to come to terms with this aspect of my own sensitive nature. Starting as a very young child, I've also always gravitated to all things dark. But more than just that, I've always been different in regards to perception and experiencing life. As long back as I can remember, I have regularly felt the call of the void in a variety of ways. 
I think the reason I'm finally writing in is because I've begun to realise that perhaps the natural emotional sensitivity and the equally natural pull towards the paranormal are linked. This is not something I had ever connected before, likely because I didn't really have the environment in which it was okay to explore either earlier in life. As a child growing up in the 80s, somehow I learned very early in my life the very wrong message that all aspects of my sensitive self were bad and that made me different. So for most of my life, I either hid them away, shyness, or tried very hard to change in order to be more normal. It was only several years ago, as I hit my 40s, that that all changed. Suddenly I needed to learn who I was. I needed to express and grow these aspects of myself which had been suppressed for so long. As such, while this potential link between emotional sensitivity and paranormal sensitivity may seem like an obvious thing to some, for me, over the course of starting to clue into this through listening to your podcast, it's been a mind-blowing moment. In some ways, it causes me a depth of sadness and regret at all the what-ifs had I not lived the majority of my life so far in such a suppressed internal state. But on the other side is a renewed sense of excitement and curiosity at the idea that perhaps once a person starts to become more connected with these dormant aspects of sensitivity, they are able to increase in ability and awareness, even at a later stage in life. I know you did touch briefly on this general question, Brennan, when you had the guest host during the episode when Paul had COVID, but I'm curious if either of you have any further thoughts on the idea of rediscovering lost paranormal abilities or potentials later on in life. Thanks again for the work you do and for who you both are. I have always liked people who are just themselves, and you both shine through very clearly when listening. Appreciated. Thank you, Leela. I've been shit at being anyone else so i am stuck being me <laughs> hmm. there's a lot of leila's message that really resonates with me because i find what she says chimes a lot with how my life has been over the last 10 years interesting how so in regards to that kind of interest and love of this subject and these conversations that we can now have as regularly as we do and the people that write into us and the things i talk about and read about now I had to suppress all of that for 20, 25 years because of the people I was with and having these interests was always seen as, as uh, Leela says there about it, not looking as though, not being normal. Right. And I think it's a, it's a very powerful thing, the fear of not fitting in. Sure. And I think when you get to a point in your life when you realize that you don't give a shit about fitting in anymore <laughs> and you just want to be yourself and enjoy the things that give you pleasure and give you happiness and you take comfort in, then it's amazing how quickly you suddenly realize how happy you become. Absolutely. I, I think the longer you deny who you are, the more it jams up other things in your life. And I, I honestly think that's where stuff like chronic illness comes from. I mean, not all of it, obviously there's a biological component as well. I'm not, I'm not a lunatic, but I think if you deny your true nature long enough, I think it, it affects your health. And I think it, uh, you know, affects you mentally, affects you physically, and, and makes it harder for you to do the things you want to do and, you know, consequently you end up miserable. I completely agree. And, and Leela, again, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be part of helping you rediscover that side of yourself. You know, even for us to be a small part is an enormous honor. And I would say, I mean, it sounds like you're on the right path. Just keep going, you know, keep learning. 
uh, meditation might be an idea, not necessarily for, with the idea of reaching out or anything like that, just meditating to kind of quiet your mind into seeing what you feel and what you hear uh, and you know, sort of what your intuition tells you, I think could be, could be really useful. So, um, th- again, thank you very, very much. And that's it for mail. I thought for some, oh, you know what? There was more. I took them out because I realized this is going to be a very long mail segment anyways. And yes, it's already been 40 minutes even. So I will probably cut a lot of this down. That's okay. Cause my mind just collapsed on that last one. <laughs> I was going on. I just couldn't see it. I was like, oh, my brain just stopped working. I don't know if that was a bit of COVID fog kicking in again. I'm not sure. I just, I just kept missing words. I was re- I could see it and my brain just wasn't saying it. I, I think that's something not a lot of people have been talking about with COVID, you know, and we've kind of entered this period of the, of time where it's like, oh no, it's just, it's just a thing you catch. It's fine. And it's not fucking fine. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's the first time I've been like that for about a few weeks actually, because I could read it perfectly fine. So, cause it, it did happen a lot when I was first getting over it because I just stop. Right. But yeah, well, I just, I was reading it and it just, I was, my brain just was missing words out. It was very odd. That's what I was getting so frustrated about. <laughs> I've lost the ability to read, for fuck's sake. And we don't want that. Thanks to everyone who wrote in, everyone whose emails we didn't get to. We love hearing from you guys. We really do. And uh, as even either one of the reasons we've, we've started doing more of the emails is because it, it helps us feel more connected to you guys. You know, when we, when we can share in this and respond to what you're saying, you know, because it's, it's hard to respond to everyone individually. So this is an opportunity for us to just grab a selection of correspondence share it with our listeners, share it with you guys and, and, uh, yeah. And just, just reach out. So if you want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Also the ghost line. Although, you know, I almost actually, I was just about to shut down the ghost line. If I'm honest, I was just about to shut it down because it's expensive to keep open and really just wasn't get being used. But then we had a story come in and which we'll be sharing on this episode. So I might, I might leave it open a little while longer. We'll see. So with email out of the way, It's time for stories. The Hanged Man from Jared. For a while, when I was fresh out of college, I was an overnight security guard in an old hotel in Ohio. It was a great job for me because I was, among other things, a night owl, reader, and artist and the location was mostly sleepy and didn't have a lot of nighttime goings on. The hotel wasn't terribly old, built in the 50s or so, overlooking a freeway back when there was nothing else on the road but forest for a few miles in either direction. Still, according to some of the old employees working overnight with me, it had its fair share of permanent guests, so to speak. Toward the middle of my shift, I would make the morning coffee to help out, usually around 3 a.m., I had been doing this for only a few weeks before the other people who worked there late asked me if I'd seen anything. They all broached the subject with me separately over time, which was a little unnerving because they seemed to all have it on their minds, and they all had very similar remarks, but there was enough variation for me to believe that they were retelling a story they themselves had been told when they first started the late shift. There was one late-night cook, two bartenders, and an overnight desk clerk the last of which was the only other employee besides me that stayed in the building past 2 a.m. The story goes that a long time ago there was a cook who was dealing with personal troubles and had hung himself in the back of the kitchen. No one working their present day knew exactly why he did it, but they all felt the need to bring it up in their own way. I personally loved the hotel's ghost stories. 
Before I was even in middle school, I had read everything my local library had to offer on the subject of ghosts, hauntings, and local folklore. So having these stories in my head didn't affect me as much as it might other people. And it didn't really matter much because the kitchen seemed completely normal to me. Don't get me wrong, the whole hotel came with a weird sense of long history, as old places sometimes do, and of course that includes the bad and the good. It wasn't uncommon to sometimes hear the tinkling of glass and faint music from behind the large doors of the main ballroom. After some time had gone by, I fell into a routine. One night, I headed into the kitchen as usual to start the two massive industrial coffee machines, music playing in my ears through my headphones. It was a good way to drown out the isolating feeling of working in a hotel at night, and also the reverberating sounds of the cavernous kitchen, the equipment of which had been scaled down for modern-day demand, but once could have housed twice as much. The coffee machines were in an alley space next to the executive chef's office, itself a square ceramic coated brick enclosure, which also housed the large ovens and giant soup pot ranges, partitioned on the other side of the office wall. This square block cut the kitchen in half, with an alley on each side, and made the perfect spot to shrink down the kitchen when time made all that space obsolete. There was nothing on the far side of the kitchen except for dry goods storage, extra chairs, tables, and the detritus of serving placements and carts. And the whole room only had a few service lights on after dark. I was filling coffee filters the size of mixing bowls and heating up water, when out of the corner of my eye, I saw something long, gently swinging in the middle of the empty side of the kitchen. I immediately froze and yanked my earbuds out by the cords, stealing myself as I listened closely for any sound. There was nothing there. The ceiling of the whole kitchen was modern composite tile and had nothing hanging anywhere. There wasn't even anything tall enough to have been caught out of the corner of my eye. I was a little shaken, but shrugged and went back to my work, putting my earbuds back in. Maybe 30 seconds passed, and I pivoted to grab another filter when I again saw it out of the corner of my eye. A gently swaying mass in the center of the room, hanging maybe two feet off the ground. It was all black, and though I didn't immediately turn my head, if whatever this was wanted my full attention, it had it now. My hand again flew to the pause button. The swinging mass was still there, but I didn't hear anything. I turned to look, faster than before, but again, the room was empty. I said, more quietly than I had intended, that's enough, and briskly made for the nearest service door. I didn't go back to finish the coffee until I absolutely had to, and by then the sun was thankfully peeking over the trees in the forest next to the hotel. Though I've experienced a lot of paranormal things, this one probably creeped me out the most. It's one of two times I've ever had direct contact and had to leave the area. I always get the tingle that something's afoot, but this time it was clear to me I was being toyed with and it felt like whoever or whatever it was, was appearing in a bad-tempered way. I didn't want to push it. And I tell you, Paul, you've, you've gone to make a cup of tea because you're, you, were, you were struggling there in the last uh, email, and I struggled to hell on that story. I don't know what is going on tonight. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I mean, part of it is I've got this, I, I've mentioned before construction noise, but it's, it's much closer to my house today. So I'll be telling the spooky story, and all of a sudden I'll hear some dingus drop a bunch of plywood. And it's not scary, it's just annoying, because I recognize it's not ghosts, it's just some dildo dropping plywood. But I, I don't know how much plywood they can possibly drop before they have you know, successfully dismantled every tree in the neighborhood. I am, I am <laughs> baffled. That's why they're cutting down all the wood in Vancouver, then. Yes, they can drop it outside my apartment. I guarantee that's why they're doing it. Rat bastards. But uh, thank you, Jordan. I don't know if you still listen to the show, because again, that was, that was a story from 2020, but uh, I don't envy you this. 
I, I love hotels, but I would not want to have to work overnight in one. I, I've got this, my athletic club is in a hotel uh, because it's a five minute walk from my gym. And sometimes I'll, I'll go use the pool at night and then I'll kind of sit in the lobby for a bit. And I love just being in hotels. I love the vibe. I love the feeling of things kind of just people moving in and out and you get to see people, you know, kind of from all around on this little adventure, you know, of vacation, whatever it is they're doing there. But there's something unnerving about a place like that, which should be full of, of energy and activity at night when there's no one around. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like something has to fill the space that's available. Hotels at night can be very strange places. I remember one, I think my favorite hotel at night was somewhere in Idaho Falls. And it was because they had a 24 hour hot tub. Now, of course, I'm sure it was <laughs> full of unimaginable nightmares, you know, at a microbial level. And I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> you know, a hundred people drown in there every third day, but you know, because it's completely unsupervised, but you know, sitting in that, in that hot tub after 12 hours on the road, I remember thinking, man, this is the life. And then thinking, boy, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to work here by myself because mm. it's just, again, there was this eerie stillness. Yeah. I remember once we once went to York for a friend's stag party and we, uh, we stopped at a bargain local hotel chain that will remain nameless that operates in the UK. And uh, it was one of the strangest hotels I've ever stopped at because the room me and my friend were were staying in because we were doubling up was an L-shaped and they got one bed around the corner. Oh, I don't (laughs) like that. Uh, Out of the way. So you couldn't talk to whoever you were with unless you were shouting around this corner. It was very strange. (laughs) So obviously we rearranged it all. Um, But um, it looked like it must have been an old people's home because it wasn't designed like a hotel. It looked like it had been an old people's home. It was a very strangely set out place and it just didn't feel right. It was quite odd. And the corridor looked like the one out of the Stanley Hotel. It was a bit weird. <laughs> Come to think of it, my cousin and I, we, we, when we went to Nelson, we stayed in a hotel uh, that was like that. In our room, as I recall, it was a little bit set up like, like a weird L with one bed oddly isolated from the rest of the room. Mm-hmm. It's where the sacrifices and, happen, I think. Well, I mean, the hotel did have a history of haunting. So, you know, we just, and I think we managed to annoy the ghost enough that it stayed away because we, we got kind of buzzed, uh, and we would just shout the ghost's name from time to time. <laughs> Mrs. Hume, I believe was her name. And so, yeah, I, I imagine, you know, a couple, couple doofuses with a skin full of booze is the last thing that ghost wanted to deal with. <laughs> Who needs Ghostbusters when you have Knob Creek bourbon? <laughs> so thank you again, Jordan. The Cajun Lady from Gareth. I live in England, but have visited New Orleans many times. It is without doubt my favourite place with a vibe all of its own. Prior to COVID, whenever I was in the States on business, I would try to get to New Orleans for a few days. However, my younger brother Brian had never been before May 2018, although he has travelled widely elsewhere as an engineer officer in the military. Our father passed away in 2017 and we decided to use some of his inheritance to travel to New Orleans for a week so that my brother Chris could see what all the fuss was about. It was the first time since childhood, I was 56 in 2018 and my brother was 49, that we had been away together on holiday so we were looking forward to the opportunity to reconnect. We were staying in a bed and breakfast on the edge of the French Quarter. The B&B was an old 1870s house that had both been a brothel and a funeral. A brothel? 
The B&B was an old 1870s house that had been both a brothel and a funeral parlour in its time. It was run by a husband and wife team and was full of Victorian furniture and bric-a-bracs. It was definitely not a modern hotel, but full of character. I'd stayed there many times and considered the owners to be friends. I have always been interested in the paranormal and have read widely on the subject. Despite this interest, I try to maintain a healthy scepticism and have never actively dabbled. Chris has never shown any interest and has no religious beliefs. The B&B had a reputation for being haunted and had been investigated by local groups. There's a YouTube video available of one of these investigations. I had watched this out of interest, but had not mentioned it to Chris, or the fact that the establishment had a reputation, as I knew that he had no interest in this subject. Many places in the French Quarter have a haunted reputation, so the B&B was not unusual in that respect. We were sharing a room on the ground floor at the front of the house. It had two beds, one of which was a large wooden Victorian bed that had steps up to it. The other was a single. Chris was in the large bed and I had the other. The decor of the room was Victorian with wooden furniture, heavy curtains and bare floorboards. Nice, but very old-fashioned. On the third night there, the alarm on Chris's cell phone was triggered early in the morning, which was inexplicable as it had not been set. He turned it off and a couple of minutes went by when I suddenly heard him jump in bed and turn the light on. He told me that he had been lying awake when a woman's voice whispered in his ear. He was unable to make out the words as the woman was speaking in French. We assume Cajun French as New Orleans was predominantly French speaking until the late 19th century. Later that morning at breakfast, I told the staff and they responded that other people had experienced similar things in that room from what they referred to as the Cajun lady. I was also told that the room was where the bodies were shown to families during the house's times and undertakers. The following night, in the early hours, Chris's cell phone was swept off the sideboard. Nothing further happened during our stay. My brother was very unsettled by what had happened. He was forced to reassess his previous disbelief. As a military man and engineer, he's very grounded, but he is adamant that something happened. I should perhaps also add that until I retired in 2020, I worked for many years as an academic at UK University, so neither of us are anything other than conventional and are not given to flights of fancy. The similarity between my brother's experience and the YouTube investigation is quite striking. Again, he had not seen this or been aware of it previously. The bed and breakfast has now unfortunately closed up after the couple sold on. I would be grateful for any comments you may have about this experience. So thank you, Gareth. What are your thoughts? Well, I find it very interesting that out of the two brothers, it's the one that has zero interest, no knowledge, and seems completely normal, for want of a better word, in regards to, to an interest in this subject. And yet he's the one who clearly had something happen and it's obviously shaken his foundations in some way. I find that that's often the case. I mean, there's, there's a line from an old ghost movie. I, I think it might've been from the uninvited, but I'm not hundred percent. It might've been from uh, haunting of hell house. But the basic idea is that for people who are completely cut off to these things, when they do happen, 
the the sort of complete inversion of what they expected from the universe can really blow the doors off and really mm. cause a problem for some people. And I think that's true. I think if you if you have a totally rational worldview and something doesn't something happens to you that doesn't fit, it can be hard to reconcile. Mm. You know, it's it can be a difficult thing to kind of get your head around. I mean, certainly for me, Jesus, you know, when I got into all this stuff, I didn't believe at all. I thought it was just great stories, you know, and it's hard to, like, this is 10 years ago now. It's hard to imagine, but I, I was one of those guys who thought, eh, you know, what the world, what is real is what in front of me, what's in front of me, uh, nothing, everything else is bullshit. And then I saw a shadow person peeking out at me from a corner and I thought, oh, well, I guess not, hmm. you know, and, and other things happen, which we've heard on the show and well, actually, which you and I have kind of talked about covering in like a greatest hits episode at some point. Yes. Because we've had people ask about our own personal experiences, but um, yeah, so it's it's it can really mess with you. And in the case of this, I mean, I'm not surprised that something happened in New Orleans of all places, because mm -hmm. that is a haunted, haunted city. I mean, Gareth, you talk about that place having a vibe all its own. You are not kidding. The first two times I went there, both times I became apprised of a missing persons case within 24 hours of arriving. The the first time there, I think I've said this before. I got talking to a bartender in the French Quarter, and she was saying that uh, she was bummed out. So I just asked her, I said, what's up? And she said, oh, these kids were just in here. I guess they'd been partying in the bar the night before. Their friend got into someone's car to buy weed. They haven't seen him since. And she said, they're not going to see him again. That kid is gone. And I'll never forget, she was from Montana. She had been in New Orleans for a few years, and she looked at me with this really, really faraway look in her eyes, and she said, you know, at least back home when someone kills you, they have a reason. Mm. And uh, I don't know what else you can say to that other than nod and take a sip of your beer. Yeah. And then uh, the next time I was there, I was staying in a rented room in Treme, and it turned out the woman I was renting the room from was a uh, part-time assistant to a PI, and they were working on another missing persons case of a kid named Mohammed Al Ghanem who had gone missing. Uh, he was a University of Texas student. Someone had, I think, they had dropped him at a motel by the highway. And his family had, he was, he was just supposed to take a cab in the morning to the bus station, get a bus. And I think he was going back to Arkansas or going to visit family in Arkansas or something gone, completely gone. And they have apps, they had no leads. And as far as I know, he's still missing. And it's, it's just the kind of place where, yeah, if, if you're not careful, bad, it's beautiful, beautiful, wonderful food, wonderful people, but it, it is, it, it, it has a dark side. Going back to Gareth's story, though, the nature of it, it, counts, it kind of sounds a little poltergeisty, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, very much so. But it's one of those as well that clearly it's well established because everybody knows there is the Cajun lady. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But if it is a poltergeist, then once again, it's one of these cases that kind of walks through all the alleged rules of poltergeists. There's clearly no teenage pubescence running about. Right. There's clearly not a lot of family strife. There's clearly not a lot of personal turmoil going on. This chap's supposed to be a very grounded person, and yet again, he seems to be another resident that has a visit from this lady for whatever reason. That reminds me, you know, you say there's no strife, but that said, you know, I, I have to be kind of circumspect in how I talk about this, but when I was researching the first round of Strange, which I've obviously I'm now working on the expanded second edition, there was a place in Revelstoke, uh, a, a place of accommodation, we'll say. I have to be, again, I want to be very vague, which is unremarkable from the outside. 
and someone stayed there and supposedly they left the same night and ended up at Holton House. Holton House is literally the most famous haunted house in town. <laughs> and she preferred that to this other place. And she told the people who were running Holton House at the time, she said, the bad vibes in that place were unbelievable. Mm. And the, the woman who told me this story, she, the proprietor of Holton House at the time, you know, she's like, oh, this woman's kooky because that place is, you know, the people who run it are really nice and so on and so forth. But I heard a story, uh, again, totally anecdotal. So you can, you can call the legitimacy of it into question, but I, I heard it from someone who, whose judgment on these things I trust that there was some major, major strife happening in that family at that time who ran the other place. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's very possible that even though the guests weren't aware of it, that, um, you know, maybe there is something powering whatever's happening there. I'm not saying there is, but you know, it's one of those things that sometimes it just gets hidden from the, the regulars or probably hidden from the customers, mm. but it's just bubbling away under the surface. Mm. So I'd be curious, Gareth, to know if there was any kind of vibe aside from, you know, just the, the, the Cajun lady, you know, that you got from the people who ran the place. I'm going to take a quick moment while I tell Paul the thing I cannot say on the air. <laughs> And we're back from Secrets with Brennan Paul. Oh, I can't believe that. Sometimes that's, that's one of the best parts of this job, honestly, is sometimes you hear things and you think, oh, that's great, but I can't tell anyone. But in a way, that's almost better. Mm. Yes. I have, I have lots of uh, outtakes from, from my show with, uh, with people who have uh, bared their soul about a variety of subjects that uh, has, has stayed between me and them. It's a little, little lick therapy. Mm. It is. It is. I've always been a good listener. That's true. I can vote for this first hand. <laughs> so thank you again, Gareth. And uh, again, if anyone else has any stories from New Orleans, I mean, we always love to hear your stories generally, but I am fascinated by New Orleans. And you know, it might actually be, we're talking about revisiting uh, scripts from past episodes a little bit because uh, we've got some, we've got a run coming up where Paul and I have to record like five weeks in a row, whereas ordinarily we record every two. And we were talking about revisiting some old shows and it might be fun to, to revisit the New Orleans show. So, uh, yeah, not, don't, don't, uh, don't necessarily count on a hundred percent, but that is, that's one possibility. We're going to take a quick break to pay the bills and we'll be right back with our next story. This next story is from an anonymous caller into the ghost line. So we're going to play that story now, and then we're going to talk about it. I've been listening to y'all for a little while now. My first experience was when I was around three or four. I was sleeping, I had a canopy bed, and I opened my eyes and saw these little, I don't I honestly don't know what the hell they were. I just saw little things looking, laying on top of my canopy bed, looking over the top of my canopy bed at me. I saw their hands on the side and their faces looking down at me. I started screaming and my mom came in there and slept with me the rest of the night. Uh, the next instance was in the same house. I was probably around four, around the same age, and I started feeling myself because of things that were on top of my canopy bed. So my mom made me sleep with my sister, and my sister made me sleep at the foot of her bed because she didn't want to get peed on. So I was sleeping at the foot of her bed, and I rolled over and opened my eyes, and there was a hand coming up the side of the bed with long red fingernails. 
skip forward to my parents building us a house in Caesar. All this happened previously was in Peking, and my grandparents wanted their home that was burnt. They let us live there. Uh, my mom and dad built a house. From the time we moved there, I started seeing things when I would go to sleep. Mind you, I wore glasses. I was really, really blind, and I still am as a child. It's just gotten worse as I've gotten older. But I would fall asleep and wake up, and there would be somebody standing next to my bed looking down at me, blacker than black, and my, I would scream every night. My parents would come running, and finally I just started sleeping with my glasses on because I got sick of my mom and dad telling me that it was just because I didn't have my glasses on, and I was just seeing things. So they started leaving the bathroom light on, which shined directly into my room, illuminated the whole room. Me and my younger sister slept in the same room in twin beds. And I put my glasses on. I would open my eyes and still see it. So therefore, I started sleeping with covers over my head, as well as my glasses on, and peed on myself every night. Eventually, I started pushing my sister's twin bed next to mine and just peeing all over her because... I was so scared. I wasn't sleeping in the nighttime. My mom would wake me up in the morning for school, and she would tell me to go take a bath because I peed on myself, and I would fall asleep in the bathtub. It got to the point where I was so sleepy that I would fall asleep in the bathtub, and when I would wake up out of the bathtub, I had to let the water get so hot that when I would stand up, I would pass out in the bathtub. I broke my toe passing out in the bathtub. This is elementary. I... Broke my glasses multiple times, passing out in the bathtub. This is all the lack of sleep. It was so bad, and I called another podcast and told them about the story, and as soon as the guy said, oh, well, it didn't ever try to hurt you, so it, was, it wasn't, like, anything that was bad. I was like, no, it was bad. It was literally standing there looking at me every night, an elementary school child every night. It was looking at me every night. Not just like one or two nights a week, every night that we lived in the house, it was looking at me. My sisters remember me screaming. My mom and dad remembers having to come running into my room all the time. My mama lit candles, very religious woman, my grandmother, my mama. She lit candles for me and asked, told me to tell God that I'm not ready to see it, just to not let me see it because I'm not ready to see it. When I'm older, I might be ready, but by now I'm not ready. It scarred me for life. To this day, I know that there's things I have that's messing with me. I am scarred. I still, I'm 46, and I still sleep with covers over my head. Two of my four daughters have gone through this. My grandson is now going through it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I believe in all of this. And nobody, I talk about, and I'm not one of those people that say shut about it because I'm there. No, I don't say shut because I know it's true. And whoever will listen, I will tell them, I know for a fact it's true. When my daughter says, Mom, you know, her son, my grandson is like, you know, he's scared all the time because, yeah, there's a reason for him to be scared. What am I supposed to tell her? Ignore it. Like my parents said, no, don't ignore it. Don't. It will mess you up for life. You're going to be scared forever. Even if they didn't ever touch you, they violated your space. I mean, where do you start with that? You've got somebody who's had a lifetime of trauma from the other side. That's it. And, you know, there's this notion that I hear all too often, which says, you know, kids are tough. They bounce back. You know, kids are tough. You know, like kids, stuff just rolls off them. But it doesn't. 
That's not how trauma works. Trauma does not just go away. Just because you don't see the marks you're leaving in a kid emotionally doesn't mean they're not there. And when a child comes to you with something that is obviously frightening them and you deny them and you just say, no, that's not happening. Get over it. Stop lying. Stop being stupid. You are causing so much trauma. You are causing so much damage. You have to listen to kids and you can't, yeah, you can't just wipe it, sort of hand wave it away and say, ah, they're tough. Kids are tough. That's bullshit. That's how you end up with traumatized kids and call her. I'm so, so sorry that happened to you. That's a fucking nightmare. And that is a crime. And I'm so sorry. It is. It's very interesting because the last time I spoke with Paul Sinclair, we were talking about his latest book, which is called The Night People, where Paul had visitors in his bedroom as a child. And Paul had a very similar thing that he was so frightened, he would wet the bed. Now, I've met Paul. I've been UFO spotting with him. He's as tough as old iron. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a proper working class Yorkshireman who's, who's worked manual labor all his life. He's, a, he's as tough as old boots. So for him to sort of open up about how frightened he was as a child, and he was terrified because the only response he would get was he would get beat for wetting the bed. Jesus. You know? Yeah. So when you've got that kind of situation, like the caller has, where everybody's telling them it's in their mind, it's because they've not, not got their glasses on, it's just a bad dream, well, maybe once or twice. But when it's happening all the time, if you keep pushing it away, the only thing you're doing is just traumatizing the person that's in the middle of this because they've, they've got no escape. That's exactly it. And then, you know, I, something else I want to want to address, you know, you, you mentioned that Paul is, Paul Sinclair is, you know, he's working class, he's tough guy. He just kind of, that's, that's who he is. And I, I'm so annoyed when I hear this sort of assumption by a lot of people who don't know our genre very well who think that the only people who tell these stories are, you know, these sort of weird beards who do X or Y, you know, and I don't want to name a particular practice because I don't want to offend anyone because I, you know, I, I don't judge those things. But, you know, the vast majority of people who've told me stories are people who are just ordinary folks. They work, they go to jobs, they go home. Their primary concern is paying the rent, looking after their kids and just getting out alive. They're not... They're not trust fund kids with more time than sense, which appears to be some, the way some people look at this, they're, they're not, they're no, there is no one kind of person who experiences these things. You know, I, I really feel for people who've had UFO experiences because those poor motherfuckers constantly get written off as hayseeds or idiots or yokels or what, whatever hurtful bullshit people used to refer to uh, folks who live in the country, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know this is just they're hand waved away. And there are shows I listen to, shows I like, which are skeptical, which do this. And it pisses me off because it's one thing to say, I don't think that's true. All right, fine. Sure. Whatever. I mean, you can ignore all the fucking evidence. The US government just had a UFO, uh, like a, a, a session on UFOs where they admitted that they have video evidence of things they cannot explain. No, they, they, they said most of these things can be explained away through rational means, but there are a significant portion over the decades, which cannot, which means, you know, if we were living in any other time, this would be huge news. This would be huge news. It means they're publicly acknowledging that, yeah, there's something happening we can't explain. Doesn't necessarily mean they're little gray men from planet Titulon 9 or whatever, but they're <laughs> out there. Something's happening. And that's the same thing with the paranormal. Something's happening. 
stigmatizing the people who experience it doesn't do anything saying like, oh, well, they're just hippies or they're just hillbillies or whatever. That's bullshit. That's lazy justification. And that really, really annoys me. My family, they, they all grew up with weird shit happening in their house. The house, like literally the house they grew up in was deeply haunted. Not one of those people is kind of a weird, whatever, again, whatever, whatever bullshit, um, you know what I mean? Like, like personality you want to put on them. That's not them. They're all a bunch of hard drinking, hard smoking people who, again, the most, they're not even very religious. Mm. So you can't apply those things to it. And when I hear stories like, like caller, and again, when you're having those basic experiences denied, it really, really bothers me. And, and I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I wish I had a better solution than, than just acknowledging it. But if nothing else, I'm gratified that your grandkids, they have you there. And you can tell them, I have experienced this. I have seen this. You're not alone. You know, you are not crazy. And you can talk to me about it. I mean, I, I don't know what will get rid of them. You know, something that always piss that kind of another thing, but another thing that grinds my gears <laughs> is when shows pretend like they have answers because there are no answers. This is a fundamentally unknowable subject. Anyone, I just, anyone who tells you, oh, well, go dip a sugar cube in absence and shove it up your ass or whatever they think is going to solve the problem. They're, they're, they're most of it's making shit up. You know, there are a handful of folklore remedies passed down through the years. You can try those things, things like iron, things like, like sage, things like, um, Palo Santo, you know, and they're all worthy. They're all worth trying. Absolutely. But to say we know why they work or we know that they work is simply not true. And so I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to move away from that in the show. I want to really be honest with people, Paul, about the fact that we don't know. We know we're experiencing these things and we can, we can be here to say, yes, this is a real experience. This is valid. You're not going crazy. I mean, there are, there are some times where, you know, I think there is a mental health issue and we do tell people that. Would you, would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. I think often, like the caller says, well, he explained it to somebody and they were like, well, it didn't hurt you. Well, it has, hasn't it? That's it. Just because it's not a physical attack doesn't mean it doesn't have lasting damage. And often for many of us that have been through traumatic experiences, it's usually more through mental abuse or, or the mental scars that do the longest damage than, than any physical ailment that you may receive or happen to you. you. You know, as they say, if you break an arm or you break a leg, and I've done both, um, then it eventually, <laughs> eventually gets it heals and it's, you know, almost as good as new. Often, sometimes it, it may feel a bit better, but often when you have something that's psychologically damaging, it will last you a lifetime and you can simply deal with it as best you can through whatever means possible. You know, as, as I often used to say, I was a very big fan of self-medication, shall we say, <laughs> yep. um, primarily because you're just pushing things away half the time. And I think when you're able to open up and talk about things, and like you say, the thing that always pisses me off is when anybody reports a sighting and somebody says, ooh, how much have you had to drink? Right. As someone that ran bars for a considerable length of time, for people to hallucinate through alcohol, they would have to be at the point of death. Yeah. That's how much alcohol it takes you for the body to begin to hallucinate. Now, if you're an alcoholic and you drink all the time, you are more prone to hallucinations due to the amount of alcohol in your bloodstream. However, for 99% of the world's population who imbibe alcohol, you cannot get to that point 
without nearly killing yourself. If you not, to be fair, if you've drunk that much, you probably are going to die. And I've had that explained by family members who are nurses. I know doctors. I know EMTs. Every single person says the same. So whenever you hear a skeptic say these people are drunk and they're hallucinating, they're talking absolute crap. They're just regurgitating some stick to beat people with that stops people coming forward. I heard a very famous skeptic last year on a nationally syndicated television show claim that every single person who was involved in the Hopkinsville Goblins case was drunk. There is no evidence of that. There's nothing in the reports. The mother was a teetotaler. There was no beer found. Nobody smelt of alcohol. There was no evidence of this. But one of the world's most famous skeptics sits on television and says that a policeman told him off the record that everybody there was drunk. There was four kids at that incident. Jesus. You know what I mean? So and I've got no time for that bloke. Anyway, he's, he just says things and he can't back them up half the time. So, you know, it's one of those things. Like when people say, when I speak to people who deal with UFO cases and somebody says, uh, an expert, uh, an expert, an aviation expert will come out and say, well, it's ball lightning. We've no evidence ball lightning even exists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so when somebody gives you an explanation of a scientific phenomenon that has yet to be proven concrete, then that's as bad as making stories up about the paranormal. It's nonsense. It's like when people excuse mass sightings as group hallucination. There is no known psychological mechanism. <laughs> Through which people can share a hallucination. Even if you give people the same drugs, they will not hallucinate the same thing. Yeah. It's absolute bullshit. It's just lazy skepticism again. Yeah. So for me, it's one of those things that really frustrates me because as you've just been saying about these reports, whether it's the paranormal or cryptozoology or ufology or whatever, it only takes one case to be real for it to be a fact. doesn't matter. What it is, or where it is, or what part of this whole spectrum of wonderful weirdness that we love it is in, it only takes one of them to be real to prove it. And that's the thing here. Funny enough, I was just, I, I've obviously, I'm, I'm working on the new version of Strange, and I, I started writing my afterward uh, recently because um, I write things out of order when I get a, a wild hair and decide to start doing something. But you know, I, when I wrote the first book, my, my forward says, uh, you know, if you don't believe in any of this stuff, I, I'm not going to try and convince you. And that's still true. But something I was writing as I was putting together the afterward was, if you don't believe in this stuff at this point, that's wholly irrelevant because these things are happening. We don't know what they are. You know, I, again, I'm not going to say it's a thousand percent, you know, it's, it's a demon from hell. I don't <laughs> believe in hell. I, I don't believe in hell, period. I just don't. Um, but. I know there are things out there which seem to have ill intentions towards people. I've seen them. I've experienced them. Other people I trust have as well. It's happening. Again, we don't have to call it A or B, but it's happening. To say, well, I don't believe in this. No, we're past that point. Your belief is irrelevant. It is happening. So move on and accept it. And when people come to you with this shit, accept it. Again, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to fit into your worldview. Because your worldview doesn't mean fuck all. The world exists apart from what you think of it. And so if something happens which is outside your experience, then you simply have to fold it into your worldview. It, you cannot 
Like, like for example, I mean, you and I were discussing something off air, uh, the great secret of the last segment. Mm. You know, I was telling you about, uh, you know, an experience that was a, a wholly physical experience, had nothing to do with the paranormal, but it really did severe damage to a lot of people. Mm. And if I told that to someone else, they would have said, no, I don't believe that. No, a, a person wouldn't do that, which is absolute bullshit because it happened. And you cannot take something which has happened and say, well, this doesn't fit what I think the world is and go, no. I mean, you can, but that's a child's reasoning and you are no longer part of the conversation because you're not an adult. So this, this one's got me fired up, Paul. Well, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things. And, but I think coming at it from the other side as well, you should always be aware of anybody in the paranormal field who is self-designated as an expert, but there's no oh, yeah. such thing. Yeah. Nonsense. thousand percent. No such thing. I know quite a lot, but there's a lot I know less of. You know, and it's very nice when people say that I'm well read or I know a lot. But I know next to nothing in the whole pantheon of this spectrum of weirdness. I know right. nothing at all. And I often joke about how little I, I realize I now know compared to what I knew, thought I knew five years ago. You know, right. I, didn't right. th- I didn't think there'd be people who claimed Bigfoot told them about elections. Or, <laughs> or can <laughs> talk on the phone. Oh, did, oh Christ. Um, <laughs> But anyway, another chance for me to do my uh, Bigfoot impression there. Um, I will. I, I will never turn that down. Birmingham voice <laughs> and the Bigfoot. I will. I'm always here for these voices. So, so it, it it's a double edged sword. Beware of both sides giving you the complete version because neither know. And and as someone that loves science and has a deep understanding, well, not deep, a deep love of space and nature and the power of planets and the strange things that happen here, it's, it's, it's deeply frustrating when somebody says, oh, well, it's clearly a demon, or it's, it's such and such who killed themselves, and half the time they're just making stuff up because they can't even be bothered to look at historical documents or newspapers to find out the truth, yep. or psychics telling families that their kids are dead and they've been kidnapped and they're living 10 blocks away in one particular famous case. Um, Anybody that claims to have all the answers clearly doesn't, because if they did, they'd be richer beyond their wildest dreams. Yeah. There, there's, sort of put a button on it, there's, there's this great <laughs> lyric. Um, no, we must carry on. <laughs> oh, well, we could rant about this forever. <laughs> there's a great lyric by uh, the artist Jello Biafra. <laughs> um, it, he, he did an album, a couple albums with the Melvins in mm. the mid 2000s both of which are really good one's called never breathe which you can't see and the other one is uh oh i think it's california uberalis i think is what the second one's called well, no but, surprises there yes exactly <laughs> but he's got a song called enchanted thought fist and it's a dumb name but it's a really great song and there's a line in there that i, I think is really relevant to this and i think you should all bear it in mind when you listen to the show when you listen to every paranormal show when you take in paranormal entertainment tiktoks youtube any of that stuff and uh, Jello, the man said, I'll say it again. We all believe what we want to believe. Don't just question authority, question everything. Don't forget to question me. And that is just true across the board. Don't believe anything out of hand. Again, use your brain and listen to people when they tell you shit. Especially if it's a hunter who's telling you about seeing Bigfoot and he breaks down crying. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, uh, pretty good rule of thumb. Well, anonymous caller, again, thank you for sharing with us. 
again, we're so sorry that you've gone through what you've had to go through. But I, I, again, we're relieved that at least your grandkids have you to believe them and to, to make sure they understand that they're not alone. They're not crazy. And, uh, you take care. All right. One last ad break, and then it's time for our final story. The Thing from Madison. Last night, my husband and I were reminiscing about our past ghost or supernatural encounters after a few glasses of wine. My husband is largely a skeptic when it comes to these things, but seeing and experiencing things that can't be explained is basically second nature to me by this point. I wanted to share a few experiences with you that even made my skeptic husband stop dead in his tracks, unable to find a reasonable answer to what I've experienced. My experiences with the supernatural trace back to childhood. I used to see shadow people crawl out of the top of my closet door onto the ceiling, night after night, if the closet door was left ajar even a little. To this day, my closet has to be completely shut before I can sleep. Anyways, things like this happened all throughout my life. Things really came to an extreme in middle school. My best friend lived about 30 minutes away from me in the city. Her mom worked at my school, so we still got to see each other every day, and on Fridays when school was over, I often would just go home with them and spend the weekend at their house. Their house was a two-story house. My friend's grandma lived on the top slash main floor, and her mom and her lived in the basement. We spent most of our days in her bedroom doing regular teenage girl things, gossiping, playing games, and most importantly, binging another series of horror movies until all hours of the night. Hell yeah. My friend and I were always able to bond over our love of everything scary, supernatural, and even just a little bit off. We both had a really high tolerance for these things and always had a blast. Her house has always been haunted. Unexplainable things happen constantly. Missing items, knocks on the walls, marks on our skin in the shape of a hand or scratches. We knew there was something else there with us. We just never really talked about it. It was just like another housemate that lived with the family. One night, my friend and I paused our scary movie, at 3am exactly, so smart, to make the trip upstairs to the kitchen to get our routine sleepover snack of Cheerios and Mountain Dew. While we were upstairs giggling and sneaking about, we heard a massive crash coming from her grandmother's room. We ran in there, thinking she'd fallen down while trying to go to the bathroom. When we got there, Grandma was sitting up in bed and just said, Oh, that damn cat, as she looked across the room at a glass figurine which had shattered on the floor. The figurine being thrown across the room was one thing, but giant red flags raised for me upon hearing her grandmother blame the cat. The thing is, their cat came running up the stairs to us the second the crash happened its eyes big and filled with terror. We both made the silent agreement to not tell her grandmother that the cat wasn't even upstairs when this happened. We got everything cleaned up and put grandma back to bed. We didn't say a word as we picked up her still terrified kitty and our snacks and just went downstairs and continued watching our movie. A few months later, we were in her mom's room watching TV. Her mom's bed was pushed against the wall, so we were able to face the door that leads into the hallway, with the TV set on the dresser next to the door. All was normal as we were watching some goofy TV show when I heard her cat growling and hissing in front of the door. I looked over at the cat, who looked back at me with fear in her eyes. She then turned her head towards the door. I followed her eye line and made eye contact with a being that I can only describe as pure evil. This thing was crouched down in the hallway, knees tucked into its armpits, just watching us. Its figure was thin with white, dusty skin sitting practically right on top of protruding bones. Its eyes were pitch black and its mouth was gaping open with thin, cracked lips and sharp, jagged teeth showing as it breathed through its open mouth. 
It had long, stringy white hair that appeared to grow in patches on its head. As I made eye contact with this creature, it jumped up and ran down the hallway, knocking over a stack of boxes. My friend jolted up, asking, What was that noise? The only thing I could say to her was, What the fuck was that? Over and over and over again. I was finally able to calm down, both from seeing this thing in the hallway and from saying the F word for the first time in my life, and described to her what I had just seen. It didn't even faze her. She just went on about how she was so relieved I could see things too, although she was adamant she had never seen anything like what I had described. To this day, this story still brings fear into my heart. Fear of not knowing what exactly it was I saw, fear of how long we were being watched, being stalked by this thing. Fear of what it wanted. I wish I was a better artist. The image of this thing I saw is so engraved in my memory, I wish I could put it on paper to show everyone. Please let me know if you know of a creature with this description. It would be so amazing to finally put a name to what I saw so many years ago. I have experienced more things since then, but this story takes the cake for most WTF moments of my life. I might write back in with some other experiences, but none of them are as intense as this. Thanks for all you do. Your podcast really gets me through my day at work. I would be so lost without it. Madison, holy shit. Um, that is one that's a goddamn nightmare. A living nightmare. And, you know, it, Madison used the word, and I, I ended up editing it out just in the process of trying to reduce the word count, but... You know, she she called it a demon. And I don't think that's, I mean, in terms of its description, I mean, if, if you asked me to describe a demon, I would not think you'd be out of line describing it in such a fashion. Mm. It was, that's, that's truly horrifying. Well, the description, the first thing that came to my mind was Gollum. That's, yeah, that's a great point. But I'm sure in the recesses of my mind, I'm sure there's something from Japanese folklore that sounds very similar to that creature. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I didn't have a chance to ask Luke, but he's done a few episodes of Luke lore on Japanese folklore, on like the, the, um, the Yure mm, and yeah. the Onryo. So, mm. uh, um, so I, yeah, I'll have to ask him. If anyone else, if you know, please write in because we would love to present, provide some clarity to Madison on this. I know the, crouch, the, the crouching reminded me of a story my friend... I won't say her name, but she, she once told me this. Uh, basically, she remembers seeing something similarly kind of bony, and I think it was bony, but it was crouched next to her television. She was, I think she was sleeping in the, fa- in the basement of the family house. She was mm. younger, and she saw this thing crouched next to the television. I can't remember if it was staring at her or not, but there, there was definitely some precedent there. And I also found some other accounts online of, um, it, this isn't exactly the same, but the shadows crawling on the, but it's, it's, it's a creature. And so I I thought I'd share it. It's just, again, just, just a fragment of an experience I found online of someone who grew up uh, in a place called Birkinshaw. Are you familiar with the place? It's just outside Bradford. I was going to say, it sounds like it was in West Yorkshire. There you go. So yeah, so it's, it's a story from there. And uh, let me find it here. They lived in a house built on old farmland. The house itself was only 30 years old. But this person had their own room and apparently they recall from the time they were a toddler, which is a, you know, that's unusual time to make memories, but they recall this green man standing in the corner of the room who had red eyes and horns. And again, very different from what you're describing, Madison, but I think it's noteworthy that it's another creature watching, not just a person, not just a shadow, but a a creature. And stories like this always remind me of John Paul Capese, 
who has been on Into the Fray a number of times. The first thing he ever saw was a sort of weird little gremlin thing that almost had kind of a football-shaped head. Mm. And the, the shadows crawling on the ceiling thing too, that reminded me of Oliver's story from one of our past episodes where he saw a shadow man crawling on the ceiling. Yeah. And it, it also reminded me of the author Mike Thorne, who we're going to be adapting his story Havoc for our upcoming series of audio dramas. And Havoc, the, the initial inspiration for Havoc came from, well, we'll let Mike tell you about it. And I, I believe I read somewhere that at least part of that story was influenced by a sleep paralysis experience you had. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, I had a really vivid sleep paralysis episode when I, I was on a new medication and I was having these extremely vivid dreams, unlike any I'd ever had, but they were always geographically and spatially removed from you know, my actual space. Right. But this one dream, I didn't even know it was a dream until a while later. I was in my bedroom. Yeah. And I saw it's, it's still, it's, it's weird to talk about because it's like, well, was that a dream? But the overhead light fixture in my bedroom started to kind of sag and I could see the outline of something inside of it. And it sagged and sagged until it fell off and clattered on the floor. And this inky black thing fell onto the bed. It, It was heavy. Oh. And I like, felt it at my feet. Yeah. And it started crawling up my leg. Um, and I jolted awake and I still felt like it was there in some way. Um, and that, that it was horrifying and awful, but as a horror writer, I was like, Oh, uh, you know, I can maybe do something with that. Yes. <laughs> the idea of these entities that can live maybe in our, um, electrical wiring or something like that. Hmm. And of course, that's, that's a dream, but it, it reminded me of other, again, of Madison's story, of Oliver's story, and of stories you and I have talked about, about spiders, you know, yeah. kind of being seen on or around us as we sleep. I had actually wanted to do a whole episode on spiders, but I couldn't find enough stories. I think Mike's point's quite interesting that are these things that simply exist for a specific period of time? Because often they seem to be like a one-off event. Right. As if the environments created it through whatever reasons and they just seem to dissipate and never return. So is it something that's just being charged up for a specific period of time and then disappears back to where they come from? But then again, where where do they come from? It's a great question. I I know, um, you know, we've talked about this before and that was something John Keel always believed. He had, or had theorized, he had a theory that cryptids, were or some cryptids at least were temporary manifestations of extra dimensional intelligence. They, they, this was basically what they used to be able to exist in our world. Mm. They had to have a form of some kind, so they would generate a form using whatever means that were available to them. Mm. And so eh, that's that's very possible. Certainly, I uh, I'm going to be sleeping with a closet door closed. I'll say that much. <laughs> Art Bell would be proud of you. <laughs> oh, then I've achieved everything I needed to in life. So th- thank you again, Madison, for sharing that with us. All right. And we had originally planned to share one more story with you guys, but we've just, we've run out of recording time. We have a really great story that will be our lead off story for an episode 138, which of course will be out in two weeks. So in the meantime, we want to thank everyone who shared their stories with us. We appreciate you guys so, so much. If you have a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. You can also find us on social media, which we'll talk about in the C segment. But again, if you've got a story to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the place to do that. Or, or the ghost line. But we'll, we'll talk about that. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. 
Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the Ghost Story Guys family, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, Sarah Kent, and Joseph Camo. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore. That is a short-form folklore podcast. You can find that on streaming platforms everywhere. Again, that's Luke Lore, and that is usually 15 to 20 minutes. Luke talking about a folklore subject of his choice. Always fun. The guys had endless fountain knowledge. And if you want to see transcripts, that's LukeLore.com. Joseph's show, In Search of Ghosts, is available on YouTube, and Joseph and I also co-host the bi-weekly live stream, Weird Together, where it started out talking about paranormal entertainment, but it's mostly now just us talking about horror movies, and I'm okay with that. So again, that's Weird Together, that's every two weeks over on the Ghost Story Guys YouTube channel. Our last episode, we talked about the indie horror drama, We're All Going to the World's Fair, and next time we are talking about the 2019 found footage film, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, number one will surprise you which is actually a lot of fun. And also, of course, thanks to my friend and co-host, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters, Paul Bestel. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Well, this week's show is uh, an absolute belter. I'm joined by Philip Mantle. Nice. And we dive into the history of UFO landings in the UK, and we don't talk about Rendlesham. At all. Gasp. Is that allowed? It, it is when I do a show. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to talk about it much. But um, <laughs> so there's some fantastic cases um, from the 60s and 70s um, that show that there have been some extremely weird UFO cases in the UK, including one from my hometown that I wasn't aware of until I'd read the book. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. Well, folks, yeah. don't, don't miss that. Yep, so that's a great one. And then 
we've got uh, author and researcher Heather Green coming up as I dive into the history of witchcraft in cinema. And she's got a fabulous new book covering all American-based witch films. So we take a, a deep dive into the history of witches and witchcraft in American cinema, including, of course, Sesame Street and a couple Naturally. of other notable diversions uh, <laughs> as well. So, yeah, it's a really good, it's a, it's a fabulous book for anybody that loves film, horror, or cultural history, really. So it's, uh, it's a great book, and I hope you'll enjoy the interview because she's a fantastically intelligent woman, and it was a, a great conversation I had with her. Well, folks, if you're not already listening to Mysteries and Monsters, which you should be, those are two great reasons to start. And Paul, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find us uh, by searching for Mysteries and Monsters, where all good podcasts live. And we're also across all social media platforms as Mysteries and Monsters. Perfect. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. My podcast, Largely the Truth, Brendan Store, is also available on podcast platforms everywhere. I'm stepping away from the show for a little bit because I have just way too much other shit that has to get done this summer. So I'm probably taking a month or two off because obviously I'm rewriting Strange. I am working on these three audio dramas, which we'll be releasing in the summer, possibly a fourth one because I'm stupid and I keep adding to my workload. And uh, yeah, so I, I am, I'm a busy man, but I'm hoping to get back to it a little bit later once things settle down because we, mm. we may also have a move coming up in there and uh, plus a two-week vacation and a few other things. So it's going to be a busy next couple months, and I am, do not have the bandwidth for the podcast as well. But again, you can catch up with all the past interviews by searching for Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will be back eventually, probably in August or September. Plus, you've also got the trial for the assault of the construction workers. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Paul, no. <laughs> Paul's not kidding, folks. There's construction happening. I've said this before, across the street, down the street, next door. And while we were sitting here, there was two guys literally outside my window. I thought they were actually going to start cutting down one of the trees while we were talking, and I was going to shit my pants in rage. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a, going to be a busy summer. That trial, it's going to be right up there with uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Yeah, it was. It was like a storyline from the kids of Degrassi Street. <laughs> it's further than my uh, my guidance counselor ever thought I'd make it. So. <laughs> Oh, that other weird Canadian show that strangely used to get shown on British television, which I can't remember the name of, but involved trees. That doesn't really narrow it down when it comes to Canadian television. <laughs> I just remember lots of trees on a river. Nope. Nope. Doesn't help. Putting them down a river somewhere. I don't know. Some kind of, I don't know. Anyway, I moved on. Oh, I mean, that, they used to do that all the time. That was how they used to transport logs. Mm. But uh, okay, we're moving on from Canadian history here. <laughs> As we said, if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20, and $50 levels with all kinds of goodies, ranging from the weekly shows, Book of the Dead and Host Adventures, to the uh, bi-monthly me and Paul Q&As, which the last one was uh, two hours and five minutes long. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it was actually two and a half. I cut it down to two hours and five minutes so we wouldn't go to jail. But uh, <laughs> there's that. Sunken library, all kinds of cool stuff. And then there's physical rewards, downloads, all kinds of cool shit at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And if you got a story to share, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook as ghost story guys. We're on, well, we're not really on TikTok. I mean, we have an account. I don't ever update it aside from putting episode thing previews there, but we're on TikTok as ghost story guys. 
And we're on Instagram as the ghost story guys. But again, if you've got a story for the show, please send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Or you can call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Thanks to Amber Pease for our ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. You can leave your story, comment, or question as one or a series of voicemails, and we will do our best to play it on the show as you heard today. The number is only accessible in North America, so if you have a story you want to share but you want to do it verbally, which we love, that's it's just a kind of a cool way to change up the flow of the show, you can also record it using the voice app on your phone and then just email it to us with the subject heading Ghostline. If you do want to listen to other shows we've been on, head to ghoststoryguys.com. We have a blog there with all of our various appearances linked. You can find us on TV Trivia Pod, Diamonds Dozen, and tons of other shows. Again, that's all at ghoststoryguys.com. And while you're there, if you want to click on over to our web stores, you can go to our Public and Redbubble stores, where you can find t-shirts, stickers, mugs, all that good stuff. And again, you find all of that by going to ghoststoryguys.com. If you could, make sure to leave a five-star review anywhere you can. Helps bump the show's numbers and just reminds us that you're out there and listening. We do get all those reviews. We love seeing them. And also, if you like the show, tell your friends. There's no better way to help the show grow than a personal recommendation. And we're very much trying to help the show grow this year. We're actually having some pretty great results, which I'm very happy about. And so thank you to everyone who's told their friends, who's admitted publicly to liking the show. I understand that might not be easy. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now, by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. So, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, Into the Darkness We Go. To the, anyways, I'll stop. <laughs> Been watching Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, you'll lose me very quickly if you carry on like this. <laughs> no wrestling talk for Paul? Yeah. Been 30 <laughs> years since I gave up on that. I <laughs> uh, can't help it. I just can't help it. I had about six months and then I went, what's going on here? This is nonsense now. Whereas I sat there and watched my dad like start to weep when Hulk Hogan was losing to the Ultimate Warrior. So. <laughs> Yeah, but then again, I watched 100 episodes of Finding Bigfoot, so what do I know? I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get out of bed for two, two pounds an hour. Right? Is it 1986? Who's your union head? Fucking Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
I mean, that's great. I'm, I, that sounds like a hell of a deal. I, I'm very happy for you. I hate you, but I'm very happy for you. So, yeah, it's fucking balmy. No wonder I wish I'd joined here 10 years ago. I just didn't want the dogs to be eaten by goblins. Oh, well, that's, that's fair. I'm not bothered about people, but leave the dogs alone. <laughs> I'll find you people you can eat. Just give the dogs back. <laughs> there used to be this woman in Revelstoke. Something gorgeous, but very, very unstable. And uh, she was once out at coffee with a bunch of other people. And she said, I only date Latino men. And she looked at who's not Latino and went, oh, thank Christ. <laughs> this was not the, the uh, response she was hoping for. As if the people of Latin America haven't suffered enough. All right. You got the Contras <laughs> and you. Fuck. <laughs> That's right. Jesus Christ. I still have to say, I still end up watching it about once a month, that fucking video of that hamster. Have you ever seen it where that hamster is just playing away and then it just freezes like that? <laughs> and, then, and then they start playing like footage from Vietnam over the back of it. <laughs> and the theme for Platoon, it's like <laughs> fucking hamsters remembering when it was in Nam. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Have you not? Oh man, you've got to see it. It's 30 seconds of fucking genius. Hamster Vietnam. Let's... All right. Do we want to do this last story or do we want to go straight to the C segment? Uh, what do you think? Do you think we've got enough? I think so. I think so. I think, I think we should um, push to the next show and it, well, let's, let's address it in the C segment mm, and say yeah. we, had, we had one more story, but uh, we come up on our, on our time and so we're going to bump it to the next show. Yeah. That's okay. We've got, yeah, because by the time we're done, we're going to have over two hours, so that's oh. more than enough. And quite frankly, the last shows have been really fucking long. So if I have a shorter one to edit, I'm not sad about it. Okay. That works for me. As long as you're happy, then I'm happy. Oh, yeah. No, it's all good. Winning hearts and minds. Goddamn right we are.